Today I'm going to be talking about about 10-15 minutes on uh, really the profitability of wine retailers. Uh, the best practices uh, define here as really the practices that optimize the outcome for the stakeholders involved, but particularly the wine retailer. Uh, my company, Broadland Wineries, we import many million litres of bulk each year. Uh, we pack into both our branded labels and, and private label specifically for the retailers. Uh, we've been in business since 1965, uh, so we've, we've just passed our 50th birthday. So I would say, to start with, that the need for best practices has never been greater. Uh, I think we all probably feel in the UK, at least, that um, wine consumption is reducing. Um, the categories of retailers are growing fast. You've got Ocado, um, internet retailers, there's a whole category there, and they're growing faster than the, the retail, uh, the, the main stores out of town. Uh, but let's start with consumers. The, it's never been easier to shop around, has it? Uh, you can sit in your armchair and you can shop from five or six different retailers. It's very easy. And we're seeing from the data, Kantar, Nielsen, that uh, people are now taking their car out and they're visiting two or three retailers and they're shopping around. So they might go to one discounter to start with and they'll buy some things at the lowest price, then they'll move to a broader retailer and buy more products. So for the retailers, it's pretty much the toughest time that it's ever been. Um, so it's, it's never been more, it's never been easier to be polygamous. Um, so it's no good really today, satisfying customers is not enough anymore. Um, you really have to delight customers. Um, shoppers will just go to where they get the very best bargain. So we must exceed expectations. Just meeting expectations isn't enough. They must be exceeded. So you'll see special deals on Christmas where a particular champagne will be selling at a price that drives footfall into that store. And if retailers aren't doing some of those sort of things, then they, they won't win the war at Christmas. So what, what does that mean for the suppliers to retailers? Well, service quality and value have to be better than ever before. And what does that mean for a bottler? Well, for a bottler, I believe, I mean, there's different types of bottlers and different scales of bottlers, but flexibility, innovation, reliability, and efficiency are absolutely key. So, in my opinion, uh, account management, sourcing, within a bottling company, account management, sourcing, production, supply chains, all have to be fully aligned and integrated. In the eyes of the retailer, it has to be absolutely seamless. Retailers don't want to see multiple companies arguing. It's all got to be seamless. So where can we source best practices from? 
Well, uh, I joined the wine trade in 2006, and one thing that really struck me was that the wine trade is such a lovely trade to be in, that people join it, and then they don't want to leave. You don't have to wear a tie. There's nice people, it's quite sociable. You get to drink wine and taste wine. You have to sample it. And once you get in the wine trade, people don't leave it. Whereas there's other industries that I've been in that people do wish to leave, and they're highly, far more competitive than the wine trade. And so they will continuously scan other industries for best practices. The, with people not wanting to leave the wine trade, what happens is there is a degree of insularity. And so learning from other trades doesn't always happen as easily as it does in other industries. So there are many disciplines to look at. So within a bottling company that's buying wine from overseas and bottling, we have the worlds of retailing, of course, um, wine, uh, handling, chemical engineering, packaging. There's many different trades to look at. And industries. Um, if you think about bringing in a tanker of bulk wine, where else is there an industry that brings in a liquid that is then used in multiple areas? Well, I'll get shot for saying this, but if you think about milk, milk comes in and then it's separated out into many different products, cheese, yogurts, etc. Oil and gas bring out liquid right out, of the, out of the ground and you split that into many different products. So similarly with wine, uh, we have a bulk tanker coming in and that can be separated out into many different ways uh, and applied to many different pack formats or methods. Um, market research, there's many new things going on in the field of market research. So from my perspective, coming into the trade when I did, I, that's, that was a, an observation that I made about the trade, quite insular. Um, also, uh, I also observed that for many people in the UK, um, selling into retailers in the UK, um, there's quite a focus on UK consumers and UK retailers. And yet, uh, as we sell into the US, uh, the Nordic regions, uh, we learn things from System Balaga in Sweden. Uh, we learn things from retailers in the US. And they're directly relate, uh, useful here in the UK market. And similarly, with the supply side, obviously, there's many different things going on in the, in the country of origin which we can learn from. So there's many sources for best practice outside the UK wine trade. So what I'd like to do today is talk about, just give four examples of best practices um, for each of these characteristics or uh, areas of uh, attributes of the bottlers that are needed. So in the area of flexibility, I'm going to talk about late-stage customization. This is from the world of the Toyota production system or lean manufacturing, where, for example, metal rods are used as, um, as, as a common stock and then they're split into multi multiple different products uh, quite quickly at the end, headrests, seat rails, things like that. I'm going to talk about psychographic segmentation, uh, where, where the talk there in the, um, in the world of marketing, you know, they, talk about, they don't talk about products. You start with a need satisfaction method. Then you work to the satisfaction method, so you work backwards. And vendor managed inventory, again from the world of Ollie White, class A MRP2, where customers should 
shouldn't have to worry about their raw materials at all. Uh, and I'd like to talk about, from the world of sort of chemical engineering, inline gas control, where processes are subjected to continuous improvement uh, all the time by teams of chemical engineers and other engineers seeking to shorten processes and improve product quality. So late stage customization, and this goes to the hub of what bulk wine here is all about in the UK. When I joined the wine trade in 2006, I was absolutely amazed at the amount of stock that was being held in the system. Uh, we had agents holding 12, 18 months worth of finished good stock, uh, and it was only selling at a very slow stock, you know, it was just moving very slowly. Uh, when you analyze this, it's a lot better now across, across the industry now. Um, what we do now is we'll, we'll take all the forecasts and demands for a particular liquid. So in this case, I think it's, a, say, a tanker of New Zealand Pinot Noir. And we'll take all the orders and the stock, uh, all the demands, and then we'll pack it, pack it quite a late stage. So we could be receiving orders, uh, changing forecasts up until literally a few hours before we pack off, and then we'll start to pack off. And we'll do it, first of all, in terms of the make-to-order stock, so the things where you have a defined quantity for a particular customer, we'll pack that off first. And then we move into, right at the other end, it's more the make-to-stock type products, where it doesn't really matter whether you pack off 1,500 cases or 2,000 cases. That's your, your sink. And also we'll pack off into clean skin. So we might have a couple of thousand litres. Uh, we'll pack off into an unlabeled bottle, or shiners as they call them in the States. Um, and then we'll hold that clean skin stock, and literally we might have 20, 30 restaurants and bars, and they will come in, and as, as they require stock, we'll label it for them a couple of days' notice. And that might seem a strange thing to do, surely that's inefficient. My production colleagues hate it. They say, well, you know, we want long multi-tanker runs. But that's not what the restaurants need. The restaurants and the bars often want their own, uh, bespoke private label to enhance their brand. Okay, psychographic segmentation. So, um, as a... Why do people buy a particular wine? Um, coming into the industry, I was fascinated by... went around France and I saw, you know, Chateau A, Chateau B, Chateau C and go in the supermarkets and watch the shoppers actually choosing between wines. Well, let's just have a look at humans. Where, why do people come and make a wine purchase decision? Well, if we start with, um, let's talk about conception for a minute. Um, you know, you've got the DNA and the womb of the mother. Those are the main variables to start with. But as then as humans start to come, they come through, they get born, they start to gain experiences, and they start to gain information. And then, as they gain these experiences, they start to form hypotheses in their mind. that They become beliefs. If I scream, I get fed. If I don't scream, I don't get fed. Ergo, if I need to scream to get fed. 
These are beliefs, and from these, we then start to prioritize, prioritize these to get values. And these are the prioritization of our beliefs. And from that, that then informs our motivation. It sets our motivations. What do we actually want? From that, we then act in certain ways. These are our behaviors. And from that, we then choose, which shop am I going to go to today? Shop A, shop a or shop B? And then once I'm in shop B, am I going to choose wine A or wine B? So for example, so when you consider you know, Chateau A or Chateau B in the classical French style of marketing their wines, how does that relate to somebody, two groups, two segments of societies? Those segments of societies, one, that wish to consume food and drink that have not harmed animals in any way. You know, Chateau A, Chateau B, it's, it's irrelevant. They don't care. Shiraz or Merlot, they probably don't care. But if one wine is proven to not have harmed animals and one wine is proved to, to be involved in harming animals, then maybe they're going to choose product A. You can look at 19 crimes in the States, barefoot. A lot of these sorts of companies have got a really good grasp of the psychology of the consumer in mind. And they're choosing their segments based on that. They're really not a product-driven strategy. It's a much more around the needs of the consumers and the preferences of the consumers. Vendor-managed inventory. When you go into a shop, a supermarket, have you already pre-ordered your wine? No. You just walk in the shop and you expect there to be stock of your favorite wine. You just don't have to pre-order it. So similarly, when a retailer, when we're working with a retailer, when a bottler is working with a retailer, we believe they shouldn't really have to worry about their stock. So typically, in the warehouse of a retailer, we will agree with their minimum, maximum stock levels, and then we will just set some target levels that are, uh, are tighter, and we will just deliver stock to maintain the stock levels between that. Yes, we'll have a gross collated forecast, we'll talk about seasonality, but we'll know roughly what's coming, and we'll maintain that. Now, why is that important to efficiency and reliability? Well, what that does is enables us, the bottler, to top up stock when we're not busy and run down stock levels when we are busy. So we can then adjust our batch sizes and our production efficiencies to ensure that they stay in stock at the optimum cost. And go, that goes directly to the, the profitability of retailers. Another example is inline gas gas level control. So when I joined the bottling industry, I was amazed to find that we would offload a, we would, the tanker would sit there with 24,000 litres, we would purge the lines with inert gases through to the tank, and then we would take a sample of the wine, check it, and then we would offload it four to six hours. And then what we would do is we would sit there and we would bubble carbon dioxide and nitrogen, or carbon, mainly carbon dioxide, through the wine to get to the carbon dioxide level to the right level that was required in the spec. What we do now, quite often, is we take steps out of these processes. So we'll purge the lines through with inert gases, but then 
as we transfer it, will inject carbon dioxide into the line as it's going through the system. So when it arrives in the tank, it's already got the right level of carbon dioxide, and you haven't bubbled carbon dioxide or inert gases through. And if you bubble carbon dioxide or inert gases through the wine, you're stripping out the volatiles and the aromas of the wine. So you're damaging the wine. So we don't want to do that. So these are some of the sorts of best practices that we've been adopting. Um, and really, they have all come from the desire to keep retailers in stock at the, uh, the right quality at the minimum cost. Thank you very much. Okay.